This is Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon on your official home of the Flames. Sportsnet 960 The Fan. This is Sportsnet Today, coming to you live from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio here in Calgary, Alberta. I'm Logan Gordon, very happy to be joined across the uh, table today by Patrick Dumas from Russick and Rose in the Morning. Hello. Outstanding production team this afternoon, Cam and Taylor along with us. Our one Lots of Flames talk. Following a tough loss to the Arizona Coyotes last night. That podcast will be up for you momentarily wherever you get your podcasts. Google, Amazon, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher for not only Sportsnet Today, but all of your Sportsnet 960 content, including Flames Talk, Russick and Rose in the Morning, Hockey Central 960 with Haley Salvin, which will be back tomorrow. Make sure to uh, leave a review. And subscribe to your favorite podcast. So we spent uh, the first hour, Patty, talking about uh, the Calgary Flames and their fleeting playoff hopes after that loss last night. Mm-hmm. There's another Calgary team deeply entrenched in a playoff battle. Oh, yeah. The Calgary Hitmen back in action tonight. They open up a home-and-home set with the Lethbridge Hurricanes. They are trying to... Find a way into the final playoff spot in the Eastern Conference. Currently in a three-way tie with Swift Current and Brandon at 60 spot, at 60 points this season. Hitman with one game in hand on the Broncos, two in hand on the Wheat Kings. And whenever we want to talk Calgary Hitman hockey, no one we'd rather be joined by down the Atlas Beach and Sports Bar guest hotline than our good pal Brad Curl, the play-by-play voice of the Calgary Hitman who joins us this afternoon. Curly, thanks for the time as always, pal. How are you? No problem. Thanks for having me on, fellas. You know, I'm great. It's minus one, and normally we'd be grumbling about minus one. It should be warmer than that, but after coming out of that seemed like forever deep freeze, it's pretty darn nice outside, so I'm enjoying life right now. Yeah, it's good. We've got a playoff race for the Calgary Hitman. We've got exciting hockey down the stretch here, and it sure looks like uh, these next couple games are going to be huge for the Calgary Hitman. Lots of familiar faces coming down the stretch. Uh, I believe I was doing it earlier today. you got these two against Lethbridge. Then two against Medicine Hat. Then you see Lethbridge again. And then you got two against Edmonton to finish things off. So we're going to find out pretty soon here if the Calgary Hitmen have playoffs uh, included in their plans the next couple weeks. Yeah, certainly. And the WHL schedule maker does a great job of putting this schedule together. Down the stretch, you should be in your own division playing the teams you're fighting with for playoff positioning. Now, the teams are involved with right now and tied for that final spot. They're not playing in Swift Kern or Brandon, but they are going to play the Medicine Hat Tigers, as you allude to. And Calgary with the game in on Medicine Hat, a game in hand, three points back, played them twice. Medicine Hat now out of the realm of, realm of possibility for Calgary catching that group for seventh in the conference and avoiding the daunting Winnipeg ice in round number one. So we'll wait and see how it all shakes down. I look at it this way, fellas. They've got seven games left. It's a seven-game playoff series. You win four, you give yourself a real good chance to get in. When you consider, that would put you above 500. Now, the teams you're fighting for playoff turf with, 
Swift Current, two games under 500. Brandon, three games under 500. I'm no mathematician, but if you win four and lose three, you're above 500. That should get you in. Now, uh, who's hard? It could change. I mean, teams play a little bit more desperate down the stretch, but I really think if they can get four, they got a legitimate shot here. Take me back to a, a cool ceremony on Saturday, Brad. The result on the ice, not what the Hitman would have hoped for, uh, but a very cool, very, you know, very Hitman well done ceremony in the sense of welcoming uh, Brett Hart into the uh, banners of the Scotiabank Saddle Dome. Indeed, a home and home with Red Deer. They win in Red Deer in overtime, and then you come home and you honor Brett, and they lose at home. I mean, you like to flip the result, but at the end of the day, you split with the division leaders. But I thought Brett was very uh, candid in his acceptance speech. Um, basically, kind of took his opportunity to, to, to put his fist in the air, didn't really raise his fist in the air, but you know, metaphorically he did and basically said, yeah, you bet the Calgary Hitmen are still here. There was a lot of media scrutiny when this franchise arrived. The logo, too violent. The nickname, too violent. Owned by a wrestler, part owner of a wrestler. That's not a good fit for junior hockey. And Brett basically said, hey, nearly 30 years later, two WHL titles later, this franchise still standing people good on you so um you know it was a real kind of pound the chest moment for Brad Hart and you, you don't hear him speak like that very often kind of kind of remind me of his wrestling days when he was in the ring delivering those you know those those pre-match uh, hype-up speeches it was great to see and you know uh, at the end of the day you know for the Calgary Hitmen to pay tribute to their namesake and and raise the banner to the rafters and and I was so curious of what the what the banner would look like you know what would it be uh, it's not a retired number, and, and, you know, anyone familiar with the Forever program, the Calgary Flames have it, and you put the, the image of the player up, and the Calgary Hitmen have had it before with Ryan Getzlaff and Andrew Ladd and Executive Kelly Kissio. And for Bret Hart, he goes up in his wrestling garb with the long wrestling hair, and it's color pink, and it was just fantastic. And, and to watch his reaction, he was there with his family, and, you know, they do dramatic pause when they un- pull the banner out of a box. And it hangs there for a few seconds and the music kind of changes. It felt like you were at the Oscars and up to the scene of dramatic music to the rafter goes the banner. I thought the pageantry was unreal, but I watched Brett Brett's face when that banner came out of the box and it was kind of one of those, wow. Like I, I think he was taken back as to how good the banner looked. So next time you're at Scotiabank Saddledom, take a look. It's not on its permanent home right now. They've got to get a lift in there and it'd be a scary job. I wouldn't want that job to go all the way to the top and move the banner. I wouldn't want that gig, but right now it hangs at the at the home end for the Hitman and the Flames. It'll get moved to the other end of the building and hang with the other forever Hitman banners. But I thought it was a real good-looking banner and a great ceremony. Brad, talked about the uh, the opponent for the Hitman the next couple uh, couple of games, Lethbridge Hurricanes. They're a team similar to Calgary where they rely a lot on uh, scoring by committee. Uh, they also have a really good goaltender and a rookie in uh, Harrison Menangan. Talk about what the Hurricanes do well and uh, what you're going to be looking forward to over the next two nights. Well, it's, it's a scrappy Hurricanes team. Oh, yeah. You know, you look at it on paper, and, and Calgary's only beaten Lethbridge once this year. But if I said to you guys, hey, uh, through four games, they're going to outshoot Lethbridge 143 to 100. You think they're going to have more success, but Lethbridge just, as I mentioned, scrappy, seems to find the timely goal at the right time. I looked at the last meeting they had in the late February. Calgary rallies back, tie the game, and this baby looks like it's headed overtime. And then there's blown coverage in the Hitman zone, and with 2.12 to go, 
Logan Wormold scores, scores for Lethbridge and give them a 4-3 lead, and they win the hockey game 4-3. Whatever it is, Lethbridge has had a little mojo mm. at Scotiabank saddled them. And their last 13 times to the Dome, they're 10-2-1, so they like playing there. And I think some of it has to do with their head coach, Brent Kissio, who spent nine years with the Calgary Hitmen moving up in the ranks of the organization from a, a goaltending coach to an assistant coach to an associate coach before going down to Lethbridge and getting that head coaching gig. You want to you wanna have... Uh, people have success in their old stomping ground. So I think that's been a little bit of motivation. But for Calgary, uh, kind of push all that aside. they got to get out and do what they do best, and that's dictate the game. And so many times in this last little stretch, they've been chasing the game. They got out in front in Lethbridge or in, in Red Deer on Friday and ultimately won that hockey game in overtime. The previous five, they had dropped down two to nothing. So mm-hmm. I think they've just got to get, get out and play the way they're capable of. Basically get back to what we talked about off the top. Hey, there's a playoff spot there for you, fellas. Do you want it? If you do, go bust your tails. If you don't, look disinterested, make mistakes, and find yourself down early. We'll find out how hungry this Hitman team will be. But the Lethbridge Hurricanes, to circle back on that point, they do have a, a scrappy team, a team that is heavy. You talk to every coach around the league. It's a big team, and it's led by Jet Jones, the mm-hmm. pride of Old Alberta, the six foot three, two hundred and seven pound centerman. He's just tough to play against. Uh, only Riley Fiddler Schultz has won more faceoffs this year, so it'll be a real good matchup in the circle tonight. Those two number one centers, um, and and they do have Brian Thompson in goal. A great story there. Thompson, one of their three overage twenty year olds. Had off-season hip replace or hip surgery. I shouldn't say hip replacement. Uh, hip surgery in the off-season and was slow to come back. But since he's come back into the fold, he has been spectacular and he really gives his team a chance to win every single night. I think there's a lot of teams looking at the WHL playoffs. Lethbridge right now, they're going to get in. They're kind of locked in the number five hole. Can't really move up. Can't really move down. Likely to get Moose Jaw number in round number one. Moose Jaw, the better team on paper with seven more points. But I don't think anyone would be shocked if the Hurricanes were to beat the Warriors in round number one. They've got that kind of team. They don't yeah. score a ton. They don't give up a ton. That means they're involved in every single game. Hurricanes do feel like a team that would be a tough out for anybody once they get into the actual postseason here. I don't know if the players are looking at it, but maybe the coaches are. I've been, I've been looking at the schedule uh, for Calgary, Brandon, and Swift Current. Calgary obviously has those more games. They have seven games left over Brandon, who has five, and I believe Swift Current, who has uh, they have six reigning. They have Saskatoon tonight. Uh, the schedules look tougher for Brandon and Swift Current, but I know Calgary's got that medicine hat in there as well. But do you like the way the schedule sets up for the Hitmen down the stretch? I know it's tough because we haven't seen this team go on a run, but do you like that schedule for the Hitmen? Well, I, I think it's it's a lot better than had they faced a lot of Red Deer, Winnipeg, yeah. Saskatoon down the stretch. Brandon's now. got Winnipeg. Uh, yeah, Twice. So the, the quality. But they, they also run into this funny part of the year, uh, you know, fellas, Patrick, where, where you could play teams, and if they've got something locked up, all of a sudden you get the backup goalie. Yeah. Or maybe they're going to play their bottom six a little bit more. So it's so tough to judge this time of year. And for Calgary, normally you go, okay, two of those against Edmonton. Edmonton has nine wins yeah. in 62 games this year. But, hey, they two they... of those have come <laughs> against the Calgary Hitmen. Yeah. So I'm going to sit here and say the only thing I know is I don't know anything. <laughs> That's the one thing that I do know. So to ask me how to predict, you know, is this an easy schedule? Is this a you know middle-of-the-road schedule? Is it difficult? Anything can be difficult this time of year. So much of it is how do you embrace it? Do you go out there and do you feel so much pressure and does the pressure consume you? Or do you go out there and go, you know what, we win some hockey games. We had a playoff spot. That sounds pretty good to me. Let's go out there and have some fun. We'll see how it all shakes out.
Curly, talk to me about uh, Riley Fiddler-Schultz. He's on the verge of a couple of really cool milestones. He can be the first hitman since, I believe, Mark Kastelik to record 30 goals in a season. He's also leading the WHL in face-off wins so far. Uh, he's also close to a couple of career uh, spots when it comes to the club's all-time points list. He's one pack of Riley Stotts for 16th place and two points behind uh, current flame Michael Stone for 15th spot. He is just sort of a you know, consummate pro for this team. And, you know, he's really been whatever Steve Hamilton's needed him to be for this group. Yeah, he certainly has. And they're going to miss him dearly next year. This is his final season in the WHL and really kind of found his way um, unheralded into the organization. If I said to you, hey, in 2017, there's going to be this kid. They're going to take him in the seventh round, 148th overall. Expectations-wise, he might go, well, a seventh-round pick? What are the odds of that hitting? Yeah, maybe about 12%, 13%. And then all of a sudden, here we are in 2023 in the spring thereof, and he's your leading point getter. He's your leading goal getter. As you mentioned, he leads the league in, in face-off wins. He's near top 10 in, in league in, in shots on goal. He really is everything for the Calgary Hitman. He's the captain uh, on top of that and, and just plays the honest hockey game. And I think you can never have enough players that – you want to be out on the ice to win a draw when you're down a goal or win a, goal, a draw when you're up a goal. That's the centerman that I want to build. Every team around plays both ends of the rink, tough to play against. I just think he has so much character, and we've seen what he's done off the ice. Riley Fiddler-Schultz, his work for the Veterans Food Bank every year, he, he does his Fiddler-Schultz, fills a Ford, and gives back to the community. He's a humanitarian of the year in the WHL, just a, a real, real wonderful human being. But at the end of the day, his play lately has come alive. Him and Sean Chagall, um, you know, have really found another gear in the last few games. I know the loss to Red Deer kind of stung, but before that, this team had won two in a row and had a shootout loss to points in three straight games, and Fiddler Schultz was the main driver of that. When the money's on the line, you need your big players to be your best players, and for Riley Fiddler Schultz, they're going to need him in this stretch of seven games. And I look for the season series against the Lethbridge Hurricanes, as a prime example for him to maybe find another level. Calgary in the season series in four games. Who's their leading scorer? Matteo Denis. He's got three points. Zach Funk, who was traded out in, in January to Prince George, three points as well. No mention of Fiddler Schultz. No mention of Sean Chagall. Those guys got to find their way to be impactful players, and it all starts tonight at the Saddle Dome. Has anybody on this Hitman team taken a bigger step forward this year in your mind than Oliver Tolk? Carter Yakumchuk, you could probably make that argument for as okay. well. But for I guess we'll start with Tulk. And, sure. you know, just kind of paint the picture for him. Here's a player that has been asked to do a lot. You know, last year was his first year in the WHL, a league of 16 to 20 years old. And, and he was playing as a, as a fourth-line center. And then uh, Blake Allen gets hurt, gets moved up, and becomes a third-line center. As a 16-year-old first-year player who's five foot eight, less than 170 pounds, that's a tall order to ask. Well, what does he do last year? He uses that opportunity to go out and, and find his way, you know, with nine goals, 19 points in 63 games. All in all, a solid rookie season. This year, Calgary's center ice depth, not as strong. So Oliver Tulk jumps whoop, up into the number two spot behind Riley Fiddler-Schultz. So you've got a 17-year-old, again, in a league of 16 to 20-year-olds. So most nights he's lining up against 18, 19, 20-year-old centermen who are bigger and stronger and older than him. And what has he done? Well, he's just outside the top 10 in face-off wins this year. He's won over 500 face-offs. He's got 21 goals compared to his nine last year. And only this one, fellas, five of them have come on the power play. So that means 
he scores a ton of goals at even strength. So for Oliver Tulk, it has been a breakout season. Now you might look at the other side and go, well, for Carter Yakimchuk, ironically, follows the same path. They live in the same billet home together. Yakimchuk's a Calgary kid. Tulk billets at his house. So they've created a pretty good partnership there together, and it's nice when you can break into the league. Same kind of situation. Yakimchuk, a 16-year-old last year, four goals, was in and out of the lineup. You're allowed to play 68 games. He played 56, so in more nights than not. Well, this year, 16 goals as a defenseman. So he has absolutely exploded on the scene, and a lot of that has come with power play time. You've got to mind your time and find your opportunity. He had two power play goals last year. He's got 13 this year, and all of a sudden you look at Carter Yakimchuk, a 17-year-old. Normally we'd be talking about his NHL draft year. For Oliver Tolkien, is. He's ranked by NHL Central Scouting. Could have his name called in June in the NHL draft. Carter Yakimchuk has the late birthday, September 29th, the cutoff September 15th, so he'll move to next year's draft. If he was draft eligible this year, I think we'd be talking about a player to be selected as well. So for me, those two players have really jumped off the page, and a big reason why this hockey club is threatening for a playoff spot, Oliver Tulk and Carter Yakimchuk, two 17-year-olds that are really foundational pieces for this franchise moving forward. When you look at this group over the next couple games here, Brad, is there a name that we haven't mentioned that you would like to see step up for this group and who can be an impact maker and might get them over the edge when it comes to winning that extra game or two that they might need to slip into a playoff spot here? Well, I think uh, Carter McAdams is one of those names for me. Um, Um, One of the players that they got back in the Zach Funk trade, got a couple of draft picks in that one. But Funk was a real driver offensively for this team when he was traded to the Prince George Cougars. You know, 13 goals in 33 games, played on the number one line with Fiddler Schultz and with Sean Chagall. Well, lately they've kind of shuffled their lines up a little bit. We don't see a lot of Fiddler Schultz with Chagall, but Carter McAdams is getting top six minutes. But for him, he had missed 15 games due to injury. And, you know, it's tough. It messes with your timing. It takes some time to get back. He's played a couple of weekends now. I look for this to be a real opportunity for Carter McAdams to to prove that he can – you know, not only eat those top six minutes, but start to produce a little bit. Uh, He's got five points in his nine games with a hitman, but five of those points came in his first four games. I'd like to see, you know, McAdams find another level. I really think that Maxime Moranoff is another player that has really found his game in the last month or so. Unfortunately, kind of followed the same fate as McAdams got hurt. Didn't miss, miss as many games, but arguably he's one of the hardest working players on any given night. And he's a guy that can kind of drag you into it when it comes to battle. And that's what you need this time of year, that no-quit mentality. We want it more than you. The playoffs are there. Let's go get it. And I think Maxime Moranoff now in his second season has a real opportunity this weekend with Calgary playing four games in five nights starting tonight to have an impact on this roster uh, this weekend. Curly, it's a big game tonight, pal. Appreciate the time. We've got uh, Hitman warm-up at 6 o'clock with uh, myself and Jeff Hollick, and we'll uh, hand it over to you and Jeff for the call of the Hitman and the Hurricanes tonight at 7 o'clock. Thanks for doing this, pal. Anytime. We'll see you down at the Dome in a few hours. Sounds good. Take it easy. Brad Curl, the play-by-play voice of the Calgary Hitman, joining us down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline the Calgary Hitman in a three-way tie with Swift Current and Brandon for the eighth and final Eastern Conference playoff spot. They take on Lethbridge tonight for for the first of a home-and-home with Lethbridge. Uh, As Crow mentioned there, it's a very busy stretch of Dumont for the Hitmen to end off their season. Yeah, not only that, four or five in the next little bit here. Uh, Two at home, two in the road in the big picture. Seven games Mm. in the next 12 days to finish out their regular season. So, And that'll determine whether or not they're in the playoffs. How many wins can you pick up here Mm -hmm. against these teams around you? 
and try to find your way in. It's been a disappointing second half of the season. Yep. There was a time where the Calgary Hitmen were looking at fourth, fifth maybe in the Eastern Conference. Now they're going to have to battle their way in. They can go a long way with picking up a win tonight. Yeah, the injuries really hit this team hard, and they're starting to get the guys back. They're getting Carter McAdams back, and uh, Blyle Norrie's back as well, and getting Sean Chagall is massive as well. So I like the way they played a little bit outside of that Sunday game against Red Deer, mm-hmm. uh, but they have been picking it up of late, and I think they know what's ahead of them. And I mean, Brandon Scufflin, they I don't like anybody get it. They got a tougher schedule, but you know, they still got they got to play Connor Bedard tonight. So there's one that could might help you out. Uh, you know, I like the schedule for Calgary. I think the, the games in hand will help them as well. So yeah, hopefully we uh, we get them into the playoffs this year uh, pretty quick here. Uh, I've got your Calgary Hitman warm up tonight. Uh, pre-game show going at six o'clock, seven o'clock. You can hear Brad Crow and Jeff Hawk on the call of the Hitman and the Lethbridge Hurricanes right here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. It's one of the biggest tournaments in sports, and it kicks off officially tomorrow. We've got you set. We're getting you set for March Madness next, right here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. You're listening to Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon on the home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Wednesday edition of Sportsnet Today rolling on. Logan Gordon and Patrick Dumas along with you. Quick reminder, you can get the show wherever you get your podcasts. Google, Amazon, Spotify, your favorite pod catcher. Want to leave a review? Subscribe to your favorite shows. We'd sure appreciate that. Patrick, we'll talk some NFL coming up next yeah. segment. New League year. year has officially turned over. Mm-hmm. Happy Trade, New Year. Trades are official. Signings are becoming official. Been more big news of releases from some longtime NFL players on teams that we'll have to get to. And oh yeah, Aaron Rodgers <laughs> kind of clarified his situation today with the uh his pal Pat McAfee. We'll let you know exactly what Aaron had to say and the message that he had to a prominent NFL insider today after uh some news broke that Aaron wasn't too happy about, I guess. Yeah, this uh, this insider's been. Uh, I'm counting this the third straight uh, off season where he's uh, kind of peeved uh, Aaron Rodgers off. Yes, and this insider has taken criticism as they do sometimes for perhaps being. I don't want to say too involved, but sometimes playing favorites and having certain agendas that he likes to push and. You can love it, you can hate it, but you all follow him on Twitter. Yeah, I, I think he, he what he did was he clarified anybody who's who's angered or who's who's miffed by the whole Rogers situation is it's it's not on him right now. It's on the Packers and Jets to hash out some compensation, and that's what's holding this whole thing up. It's not Rogers, uh, whether he wants to play, whether he doesn't want to go back to Green Bay, go to the Jets. It's it's on. He wants to go to the Jets. Uh, it's just. It's on the Packers and the Jets to figure out compensation for this, and I know uh, it's a lot. There's a lot of moving parts here. This is a giant contract that needs to be moved, and I know Green Bay probably doesn't want to be carrying a lot of his money, seeing that they have to pick up a fifth-year option here on Jordan Love and and still have a quarterback on a rookie deal, because either way, regardless, this deal will hurt the Packers dead cap-wise. It will be, it'll be hurting the salary cap for a few years, but they don't want to be carrying that money, especially when they, you know, Jordan Love's fifth-year option is going to be picked up. Who knows what he's going to want and need down the road? 
So we'll dive into uh, the NFL storylines coming up next segment, but uh, tomorrow the start of a fun time, yes. uh, Patrick, and uh, I'm very excited to bring in our next guest to talk about it. Yeah, we go down the Atlas Pizza Sports Bar guest hotline. We're joined by Matt Humans uh, from Vicent, editor and host, to talk all things uh, March Madness as uh, the tournament will officially get underway tomorrow. We had play-in games yesterday, got a couple more tonight, but we are uh, getting underway tomorrow morning. Matt, how are we finding you on this uh, on this Wednesday? Hey, it's doing great. Great to talk with you guys. This is my favorite uh, sports week of the year. Yeah. The first four days of the NCAA tournament. I don't think it gets any better than this, especially the first two days here in Vegas. No, exactly. It's uh, it's one of the most busiest time on the I'm sure on the uh, the gambling calendar as well for sure. Uh, getting into this here, we got the four number one seeds: Alabama, Houston, Purdue, and Kansas. Among those four number one seeds, who do you think has the best chance to reach Houston? And is it that host team? It could it be the Cougars? I think it is Houston. I mean, if you look at the math models, it says it's the Cougars. But when the brackets came out Sunday night, I looked at the the regions uh, closely, and I think Alabama and Houston got the easiest pass to the Final Four. Now, uh, the Tide's going to have to get by Creighton or Arizona in the Mm -hmm. south. Houston would probably have to get by, you know, Xavier or Texas in the Midwest. But I think those regions are relatively – uh, soft compared to what Purdue has to face in the East and what Kansas has to face in the West. Yeah. So, uh, you know, when I filled out my bracket, I hate to pick number one seeds to go to the Final Four, uh, but I couldn't avoid it with Houston. I, th- I think the Cougars are going to get back to their hometown, and uh, I think Alabama's going to get there as well, get by Arizona. And uh, then I've got Duke actually coming out of the East and UCLA out of the West. Talk, talk to me about Duke. It's a program, new coach, uh, winning the SC, ACC title this year. It's a it's a new regime, new blood in Blue Devil Land. Talk to me. Talk to me about Duke. Uh, you know they're they're the most popular team among a lot of the casuals that love watching this tournament. Is like, well, we know Duke. How's Duke doing? Yeah, you know what? Duke has become a real popular team here in the past week. I've, I've been talking about this team for a month. I, I kind of draw some parallels to what happened with North Carolina this time a year ago. Mm-hmm. Carolina started to get hot in the middle of February and uh, made that tournament run in March. And uh, Hubert Davis was a first-year coach taking over for a legend. And, uh, we kind of got the same thing happening with Duke here. Yeah. With John Shire, you know, his team gets hot in the middle of February and uh, taking over for a legend. Looked like they're ready to make a run here in March. And one thing I've liked about Duke the whole season, I watched Kyle Filipowski. Uh, 6'11 freshman. He can lead the fast break, step out and hit threes. He can do it all. Phenomenal prospect. I like Filipowski a lot. And then some of the young guys around him, like Whitehead, um, Lively, and actually the point guard situation has been uh, solidified a little bit too. So Duke's playing a lot better defense than it did under Coach K, and that's one uh, big positive here. I think John Shire has upgraded the defense on this team. It's still a lot of young guys. And that could be an excuse if Duke gets knocked out at some point here. But um, I really like everything about Duke except its three-point shooting is uh, not great. Uh, but, you know, one thing, if Duke matches up with Purdue in the East, Blue Devils have multiple big bodies they can throw at Zach Eadie. They're yeah. one of the few teams in this tournament, maybe Arizona being another, that can match up with a big guy like Eadie. So that's kind of like uh, one of the reasons I like Duke to come out of the East. Yeah, that Purdue 
potentially looked like it could be Purdue and Duke in that round of 16. And we know, we know Zach Eady. He's Canadian. Talk about this guy. Talk about Purdue. It's the first time they've been a number one seed in a while. This is a program that's been mm-hmm. building. It's been uh, you know lurking in the Big Ten weeds here. Now they're ready to pounce. Talk about what Zach Eady can do. And that Purdue-Duke game, potentially, if we get it, could be really good. Yeah, Zach Eady's story's just uh, sensational. And uh, it's obvious the kids has put in a lot of hard work because he's got some great moves in the low post and the way he sees over the defense and he's become a really good passer. The key to Purdue is when the ED passes those three-point shooters, they got to start knocking down the shots. And that hasn't happened recently, but ED has been so good that Purdue's been able to uh, continue to win games and he's kind of carried that offense. If you guys watched the Big Ten Tournament uh, Championship on Sunday, Edie was dominant. Again, I think he had 30 and 13. But the three starting guards shot a combined two for 20. <laughs> Can't do that. Nope. These guys can kind of start knocking down some shots. <laughs> Purdue's been a very good program for a long time, but they just can't get over that hurdle, get to the Sweet 16, get to the Elite Eight, and just can't get over to the Final Four. But Zach Edie gives the Boilermakers a chance to win every game. Uh, but they're only going to win these games as they go deeper in the tournament if some guys start knocking down some three-point shots. And, and they've got guys who can shoot, but one of the things I'm concerned about is two of the freshman guards, Braden Smith and Fletcher Lawyer, seem to be wearing down here late in the season, mm-hmm. fading a little bit, especially Lawyer. Uh, I, I think those guys are going to be uh, fantastic players, but they're freshmen, and they might be hitting the wall a little bit, but that, that's the key to Purdue. He's going to do his thing. Uh, they've got to knock down some three-point shots around them. Talk to me now, about, before we get into more of the, the gambling aspects and some uh, some picks and whatnot, talk to me maybe about what your what your view is the best region. I'm thinking it looks like it's, it's got to be the West. Eh? That West region is loaded. Uh, I agree with you. Sunday night when I looked at the brackets, I was like, holy, <laughs> wow. Look at the West. You know, Kansas, the defending champ, draws Arkansas just in that mini bracket. Then you got UConn in the top half. And then at the bottom, TCU, Gonzaga, and UCLA. Now, if uh, Kansas makes a run, it's only going to have to contend with one of those teams. But, mm-hmm. wow. The West Regional uh, Final, by the way, is going to be in Vegas. And there's a chance you could have UCLA, Gonzaga, UConn, and oh. Kansas. I, th- I think Arkansas could be a dangerous team. But I don't think there's any doubt the West is the toughest. I think the East is probably the second toughest. And that's why I've got number one seeds yeah. coming out of the top half, you know, the South and Midwest, because I do think Houston and Alabama have relatively easier paths to get there. Yeah, it feels like anybody who comes off that bottom part of the bracket is going to really have to earn it. And that's why I'm going to yes. shift my attention here to Gonzaga. It's a team around this these parts we follow a lot. We get them up on our local programming because we're close to Spokane and everything. But talk to me about this group. Uh, the three seed, they're coming off of, I believe, two straight, three, or two straight one seeds. Uh, but this is a program twenty like going on like since nineteen ninety nine making the tournament, and they could potentially get their kryptonite in UCLA. Uh, what does Gonzaga have to do to get back to the Final Four and potentially get back to a national title? Because you know we're waiting on it. We've been waiting for so many years for Gonzaga to click, and it, it, could it be this year? I feel like they've been battle tested a lot this year. Could it help them come to tournament time? You know, what What year was it? Was it 2017 or 18 when Gonzaga got to the title game and played North Carolina? Yeah, it was 18. Uh, 18, yeah. It was, I really felt like the Zags got screwed in that game. Mm-hmm. You know, they tagged their big guys with fouls and put them on the bench early in that game, and that totally changed that game against North Carolina. I thought, I thought the Zags got screwed by the officials. You can tell 
that I liked the Zags in that game, and I still can't forget it six years later. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, when people talk about Mark Few and even Matt Painter and Purdue and guys who can't get over the hump and win, win the big one, Few was that close. Yeah. And he had a team good enough to win it. And a lot of times when you get in the tournament, there's, uh, you know, a lockout element, a lot of different variables that come into play and things like that. But that Gonzaga team, Gonzaga's had a couple teams good enough to win it. I, this is not Mark Few's best team. No. But since the start of February, Gonzaga's number one in college basketball and offensive yep. efficiency. And uh, I've I, I bet Gonzaga in all three games against St. Mary's. I think the Zags are far better than St. Mary's. They actually proved that in the West Coast Conference Tournament Championship. Mm-hmm. When they, uh, they, they beat down the Gales pretty badly. I, I like the Zags' chances here, and they kind of catch up a little bit of a break because UCLA was going to be my pick to win the whole thing. And then Jalen Clark went down to an injury on the last Saturday of the regular season. And for those who haven't followed UCLA, Jalen Clark's really valuable. He's a number three scorer, 13 points a game. He's probably a top five defensive player in college basketball. And Mick Cronin did not have a deep bench uh, outside of that. He was playing six guys, significant minutes in his rotation. And uh, I'm not sure that UCLA has the depth to win six games in this tournament without Jalen Clark. You know, so the Zags might catch a little bit of a break there if they run into UCLA in the bottom half of that West bracket. But Drew Timmy, obviously a guy who's uh, feels like he's been in college basketball for seven years, Uh, (laughs) but he's, he's got that type of experience and savvy that he's going to give the Zags a chance to win every game. And um, I I wonder if their defense is going to be good enough. You know, when you look at the mathematical models of the teams that win championships, the Zags fall outside that defensive metric Mm. and it shows they're not good enough, but, they might be good enough offensively to overcome that. We'll see. But they're going to run into the second-best defensive team in the tournament in UCLA probably at some point. But, again, that's a UCLA team that's going to be a little shorthanded. Uh, what are some value plays that you're looking at? Away from the top favorites, away from the one seeds, what are some good value picks that uh, people can uh, can look at uh, before they make their bets for before the tournament starts? All right. I've got a bunch of bets Let's here in go. the first round. I'm going to go with uh, Furman plus six against Virginia. I'm um, taking an Auburn and a Pick'em. I'm using some uh, Vegas lines from Circus Sports, Westgate Superbook, DraftKings, whatever. So, obviously, the lines differ, and uh, hopefully you can get uh, a good number if you've got enough outs on these. But Auburn's playing in Birmingham and a Pick'em against Iowa. Penn State plus three against uh, A&M. Colgate, I took plus 14 against Texas. I think the Longhorns might be a little bit flat for that first game after the Big 12 tournament championship game against Kansas and that some of these teams like Colgate are dangerous yeah. too. and uh, you can't overlook them Arkansas minus two against Illinois I got Missouri plus two um, against Utah State Northwestern and a pick them UNC Asheville plus 18 against UCLA I think Vermont plus 11 Kennesaw State plus 11 and a half a couple of under the radar underdogs that can hang in there and cover those numbers. Memphis, minus one and a half against Florida Atlantic. That's a really interesting game, by the way, the 8-9 mm-hmm. in that bracket, because it seems like everyone is advancing Memphis, just dismissing a 31-win Florida Atlantic team like it's uh, <laughs> it's it's going to lay down for the Tigers. I'm not sure that's going to be the case, but I do have Memphis. I played USC plus two against Michigan Straight, State. Drake plus three against Miami. I do like Kent State plus four and a half against Indiana. Uh, VCU plus four against St. Mary's. Iona plus nine and a half or ten if you can get it against UConn. And I did not play this one yet, but I'm, I'm 
looking at this UCSB, yeah. you know, the Santa Barbara Baylor game in Denver, and I uh, might end up playing the dog in that one. Baylor seems to be a team that's fading here the last mm-hmm. couple weeks. Talk to me about another uh, thirty-one win club. Uh, you know they they they've had the longest winning streak in the nation. They lost to Hofstra and Drexel, but then won out the rest of the year. Talk to me about College of Charleston and their matchup with San Diego State. Does this feel like a team that could be one of the one of the bigger double-digit seeds that could maybe find themselves to the second weekend? It, it could happen. Pat Kelsey's a hell of a coach. They're thirty-one and three for a reason. Yeah. They got five double-figure scores, and when you look at teams. Like this, so you think in advance in the tournament, one thing that's different about college basketball now is a lot of these top teams don't have many seniors. And um, mm-hmm. teams like Charleston do. Uh, Charleston has three seniors and two sophomores in the starting lineup. And uh, even though San Diego State is a long, athletic, excellent defensive team, uh, the Aztecs go through scoring droughts. And they do have kind of a low ceiling offensively. And those type of teams can get upset because it could be a lo- ugly, low-scoring game, probably going to be a tight game. Charleston plus five is another one of those underdogs I'm considering playing here. Talking with Matt Humans, uh, editor and host at VSIN. Uh, a couple more with you there, uh, here, Matt. Uh, talk to me about uh, the the, fu- the play-in games tonight. Arizona State, Nevada, Fairleigh Dickinson, and uh, Texas Southern. Obviously, Texas Southern being the lone team that is here uh, under 500. Are you liking any of the, the matchups tonight? Oh, last night we got a really good one with Pitt and Miss State. How about that? We actually had two pretty good games yeah. last night that came down to the last I missed, shot, I right? missed the, they... the Corpus Christi uh, Southeastern Missouri State one, but yeah, uh, you're right there. <laughs> you know, the uh, the interesting thing about that is uh, Corpus Christi closed as a three-and-a-half-point favorite, and uh, Southeast Missouri had a three-point shot to tie with three seconds left, missed it, and there was a foul on the rebound, and the kid hits one free throw to cover the number. So that's how the first game of the tournament starts, right? A free throw with 1.5 seconds left to cover the number. Uh, that's what type of tournament uh, it could be. And then the uh, second game last night also goes down to the wire. Mississippi State, the worst three-point shooting team by percentage <laughs> in college basketball. Yep. 363 out of 363. Oh my. And they have a wide-open three to win the game, and, of course, Brick it, you mm-hmm. know. So I think that was kind of a fitting end to that game. I like Arizona State a little bit tonight. Yeah, me too. Uh, not a lot because Bobby Hurley's teams are so erratic. I, I thought the Sun Devils looked really good. Played one of the best games in the Pac-12 tournament last week against uh, USC. And the interesting thing about this game is two of Arizona State's top players transferred from Nevada after last season: Desmond Cambridge mm-hmm. and Warren Washington. Cambridge is a guy who hit the 60-footer to beat Arizona and Tucson a couple weeks ago, and he had 27 points against USC last week. And uh, the Battle Wolfpack backed into the tournament, lost their last three games to Wyoming, UNLV, and San Jose. And everybody's saying, well, Nevada doesn't deserve to be in the tournament. And that's what makes Nevada dangerous in this <laughs> game tonight. That's why I'm a little bit hesitant here. A lot of times, and this is a, an angle that you've looked at for years, it's been right more often than not that the team everybody says does not deserve to be in the tournament goes out and wins the first game. Yep. So keep an eye on that with Nevada tonight, even though I do have a small play on Arizona State. And the other, the Texas Southern game, it's a 14-20 and 20 team, yeah. but, but it's favored for a reason. They played a tough non-conference schedule. And uh, actually, when you look at Farley Dickinson, I don't know if you guys look at the Ken Pomeroy numbers much, but a little on bit. Ken Palm, okay. On Ken Palm, Fairleigh Dickinson that ranks 312 of 363 oh. in the nation and 361st in defensive efficiency 
This team did not even win the Northeastern Conference Tournament because the winner, Merrimack, was ineligible. Yeah. So it looks like Texas Southern, you can see why Texas Southern is the favorite. And uh, I guess I like that side a little bit here, minus two. Now, last one for you. If there's going to be a Cinderella run from any of these 64 that make it to tomorrow, who's it going to be? Uh, that's a good question. Feels like because, man, like uh, this is the one year in college basketball. You throw out the favorite. It feels like anything could happen. You know, when I was uh, doing my brackets, I was thinking about that too. I've got to find a team that can make the run because we're talking about there's probably 30 teams in this tournament that can make the Final Four wow. legitimately, right? About maybe 15 of those can win the national championship. That's and amazing. You say it's wide open. I guess that's the definition of wide open. <laughs> if almost half the field can make the Final Four and maybe 15 teams can win the championship. And I, I think that's relatively accurate. Uh, I've, Furbin could be one of those teams. I had a list of uh, Cinderella teams that I, I thought, let me uh, pull up that list real quick. I've got yeah. Oral Roberts, but, you know, Oral Roberts runs, in, runs into Duke in the first round. Mm-hmm. That's going to be tough. That's Iona, tough Rick Pitino, I think Iona's a dangerous team, but they run into UConn in the first round. Florida Atlantic, I think Kent State. Watch out for Kent State, mm-hmm. even though uh, they're in that – part of the bracket where they can run into Houston in the Sweet 16. Kent State could win a couple games, get get that far. Drake, uh, Vermont, Colgate, Charleston, yeah, Kennesaw State could win a game. I'm not sure any of those teams can make deep runs. We're talking about runs. Usually the Cinderella run stops and they hit a wall in the Sweet 16. Yeah. And I think that's probably what's going to happen with those Cinderella type teams this time. Well, thank you so much, Matt. Uh, I know tomorrow morning will be uh, great. It will be the best time for for a lot of college basketball fans. I cannot wait for this tournament to start for sure. Thank you for doing this, and uh, all the best this tournament. Thank you. You bet, and uh, great talking with you guys. There you go. There's Matt Eumanns, editor and host of uh, VSIN, all things uh, getting you ready for the uh, March Madness, the NCAA tournament starting up tomorrow, man. Exciting times. Oh, yeah, man. This is, this is the best time of sports. You know, this the spring into transition. You know, you got baseball ramping up. You got March Madness. You got the NHL, the Stanley Cup playoffs, the NBA playoffs. Best time of year. Are you a one-bracket guy or multiple-bracket guy? I've been declining my brackets over years. Like, there was times I'd usually I'd throw, like, ten brackets just to see what else. But now I'm got down to, like, four. It's about what I do. Now, it's probably this is the only one I've done so far. Hmm. So, maybe I'll Four's make one. not bad. No, it gets a little much to follow, and it's like, how many more? Like, I want to pick this team, like, because I get it. It kind of yeah. You know, I've never this. understood like guys doing like ten. It feels like you're just doing different ones simply to say that I've done. Well, it's just like, oh, I don't like this team. I'm like, I think they could upset here, but in the end, it's like, yeah, your final fours might be the same kind of. <laughs> so, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, if you believe in the same teams then you're, aren't you going to wind up with the same well that's what i mean and then result this, in the end this is what i mean that with this year in college basketball i know this is like the least relevant thing that most people want to talk about and hear about right now but this season of, uh, of college basketball has been absolutely insane as you can see like the you know houston and alabama uh being in the, the top two overall seeds it, it's it's fun it has been really fun to riveting uh action this year and i can't wait for it they're gonna be there's gonna be somebody weird in the final four i bet for sure. No undefeated teams, a couple close, but nothing really. Yeah, and you look at the one the teams that have 31 and 3 like Houston, Tr- College of Charleston, uh who's the other one that had 31 30 wins at least. Uh, Oral Roberts, they're 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 uh, Florida Atlantic. They play in smaller conferences. They beat up on a lot of the smaller teams. I uh, credit Houston, Calvin Sampson has done an amazing job with that program. Houston has been a top program for the last few years. 
and the Final Four is in their own backyard. So that's uh, extra motivation for sure. All gets going tomorrow. Like you mentioned, a couple play-in games still to be decided tonight, mm-hmm. and the uh, tournament kicks off uh, tomorrow. Right and early, 10 a.m. 10 a.m., so you get your college uh, basketball fix uh, starting tonight if you wanted to uh, to really dive into it and get going in Yeah, if you're, if you're watching the play-in games, like you're, you're hardcore. You're hardcore. You're a hardcore. Yeah. Or you're a degenerate gambler. That too, and that this, like is, this is this is like this is this is the de- most degenerate gambling time of year. Uh, is this is NCAA tournament? I uh, will take a break. Come back uh, for hour three, special three hour edition of Sportsnet today on this Wednesday. NFL season has officially turned the calendar page. We're on to uh, the defense now of the Super Bowl title for the Kansas City Chiefs. They are into a new season. That means all of the deals that we've heard over the last. 48 hours, Patrick, are becoming official with different teams. Trades are becoming official. But, of course, we're still focused in on where one of the top quarterbacks in the NFL might land. He gave us an answer today when he joined the Pat McAfee show. We'll chat all things Aaron Rodgers and his next home potentially in the NFL next here on Sportsnet 960. The Fan.